Welcome back to Final Hour with the West Coast Neighbors. I'm Seth. And I'm Brian. Looking out on the beautiful Pacific Ocean today. It is calm and serene. It is a beautiful day. There's a mirror out there. Way better than the heat wave we had. Hooah, that was nasty. Yeah. As you can tell right now, we're enjoying the uh, lovely sounds of Redbone and Come and Get Your Love. Grooving to some magical 70s tunes. Thank you for all the people that have been writing and offering advice on songs we should start out to. Uh, the overwhelming response has been that uh, we should uh, do our own. And so I think we are going to write you guys a tune. But for this week, we got to play a little bit of Redbone before we get something written. Especially a uh, big topic I want to talk about this week is Guardians of the Galaxy. Yes. And uh, for those of you that have seen it, you'll obviously recognize this song from it. Lovely. If you haven't seen it yet, you need to. It's amazing. Quite probably the best movie of the year so far, I would say. Up there. If oh, yeah. not the best, it's in the top three. Uh, and of course, we haven't been able to talk about it since I went on vacation for like three weeks, which that was lovely. True. But I did miss all the lovely podcast listeners, and so I'm very happy to be back here uh, listening to the fabulous music with all of you lovely people. And we will get to Guardians of the Galaxy, which I did get to watch while on my vacation, but again, we didn't get to talk about it, so we're going to have to flap our gums a little bit now. Absolutely, and I just want to say welcome back. Thank you. I was bored while you were gone, I'm not going to lie. I saw... Guardians of the Galaxy twice. Wow. I went and saw Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh. Yeah. Just out of curiosity, did you, because I remember, you know, when you're alone, I know that you make things out of your belly button, Lynn. Did you get around to finishing that sweater you were starting? Um, I actually, right now, I I swerved it. I'm going more for an afghan. Ooh. Yeah. So it's, uh, right now, it's more of like like a little belly coaster. Type oh, thing I have. that's nice. But uh, but really it's getting good. There. Yeah, you're yeah. gonna sell that at the farmers market. Well, of course. Why would yeah. you make anything out of belly button if you're not gonna sell it? Sell it farmers market for sure. Yeah, know, like trade or something. That'd be nice. But so yes. What were you doing now? Uh, I I moved to LA many years, three years ago, and uh, my uh, I had not taken a vacation since I, I got here and so I just kind of those things where I was like whoa I'm not working I'm not doing anything it was a little moment in between a whole bunch of jobs and the open window of three weeks and so I just was in the car and off I went and you were playing mountain man right yes I camped for pretty much three weeks and I have to tell you running water I want you people go kiss your shower right now <laughs> and i mean don't kiss your toilet but maybe pat it on the head or the tank or something and just just let it know that it's loved because you don't know how much you miss that stuff until it's not there for you that is that is a very good point now as you mentioned at the top of the show guardians of the galaxy great movie yeah we we would be remiss if we didn't talk about it oh yeah got to most part, we talk about movies, and we're we're kind of nerdy, so I oh figure yeah. that pretty much enables us to talk about this film. And we've covered that I pretty much will enjoy any comic book movie within reason. You're a little more picky, as far as on a whole, because we've talked about your your violent hatred for Spider-Man movies, deep deep hatred of Spider-Man too, without having seen it. Right, right, right. Which. By the way, two things about Spider-Man that we need to talk about. About Spider-Man 2? Two things about Spider-Man 2? Two, two things about Spider-Man 2, two, two. Okay. Do you follow me on that? Yeah, we're up to a total of six. Great. 
is it a is it a is it a happy six? Is it a nice six? Or oh, is it more of a is it more of a sinister six? It's a disgusted six. Oh, okay. Two things about the amazing Spider Man. I just wanna say I called it. Episode one of Final Hour with the West Coast Neighbors. I said Hollywood needs to listen to me. And they need to bring Emma Stone back as MJ, and it'd be a, a wacky swerve that nobody'd see coming. And guess what I read as being now rumored out there? You read a rumor on the internet. I know, okay. and and we know that everything on the internet is true. So true, always. And I'm not saying this is going to happen, but I'm saying it's now officially being rumored, other than by me, is that they might actually drop the original Mary Jane they've cast and bring Emma Stone back for it. I do like Emma Stone. I don't care for that idea, but <laughs> it exists, so there it is. And you know what? I'll go on record. Previously on West Coast Neighbors, yes, you totally called it. There we go. So if it happens, I I need a cut. You get all the credit. Oh, yeah. I think that, yeah, a credit, like they need to invite you to the premiere, probably put an associate producer title on well, the and, credits. And I think Emma Stone should probably leave her current man and come to me. That that could make Spider-Man worse, though, because isn't she dating That's true. Garfield? That's like true. Like the cat who enjoys lasagna? Yes. <laughs> She's big into or, the cartoon cats. Oh, wait, no, Andrew Garfield. Yes. <laughs> Garfield's yes. brother. Yes. Much better looking. Though oh, doesn't yeah. though also loves lasagna. He does. He does. Yeah, eats it like crazy. But other big news for Amazing Spider-Man 2. Yeah. I think it was also our first episode that you said you wouldn't see it. Maybe free on Netflix. Yep. You lie. I paid a dollar 20 and I watched it <laughs> last night. So, what did you think? Uh, it, I think it sits at like a 52 or something on Rotten Tomato, and that is, that's pretty accurate about the percentage of good movie there is there. There's 52% per of a good movie happening, and the other 48% is mm, not as good. It tries. It does. But I would have to say not a very good villain. They rushed a lot of things. A lot of the time, characters seem to just do stuff because it would move the plot forward. It didn't really seem like they were doing things because that's what the character would do. It had Star Trek Into Darkness disease, where, oh, we're going to do this, not because it's something a rational human would do, but because the screenwriter's like, <laughs> I need to get from point A to point B, and I can't think of any other way to do this. So. Right, and one of the things that we talked about was a lot of that kind of writing almost felt like they had a great movie on their hands. Somebody came up with a great concept, but then the studio heads grabbed it and they basically they wanted to make sure they wanted to make sure they could lead up to a future movie in Sinister oh. Six. Oh yeah, it, they'd had sequelitis really bad in the case that it wanted to make more. It was like a really really slutty girl at Palm that wanted to get pregnant <laughs> bad and wanted to make like triplets and then wanted to have a lot. It was that movie was wandering around drunkenly just trying to be like, "Hey, what are you doing? You want to make Sinister Six? I want to make Sinister Six." So yeah. It was crazy that way. But not not the worst. It wasn't the worst Spider-Man movie ever. That title is still belongs to Spider-Man 3 Good. and uh it is the second worst Spider-Man movie ever made. And I'd agree with the ranking on that. What I want to know is was it at least better than you were expecting it to be? 
It was slightly better than I expected. Slightly. If if we could erase, if we could, if we could erase the major part of the movie that was Electro and how they handled that, does it kind of hold up beyond that? No, it just needs to be Garfield loves Stone, and that could that could be a movie. I'd watch that movie, and then he acting like it's like, oh, Garfield has superpowers too, and eats lots of lasagna. I'd watch that. Right. We were discussing this the other day. You hit the nail on the head um, with those two Hollywood lovebirds. We we now have our modern day version of. Um, oh yeah, uh, Tracy and Hepburn. Yeah, no, they're totally Tracy and Hepburn for the modern day. Yeah, they need Spencer Tracy and Catherine Hepburn. Yeah, they're they're there. Yeah, and totally. And since since we here at Final Hour are in control of Hollywood, we, we are. clearly have our finger on the pulse. What we say happens. I took a call from Disney this morning, and I told them I'll call back. I'm not done with my orange juice, my Donald Duck orange juice that nice. I was drinking. So yeah, yeah, no, we totally control Hollywood, all of it. So so for that, I just want to put out there in the in the ether, Hollywood needs to capitalize on this and start. You know, we they, we love mm. doing movie remakes. Rather than give us more RoboCops or, or revamp, uh, well, okay, I'm I'm looking forward kind of to the to Batfleck, but instead of giving us 25 versions of Batman, let's do some remakes of those movies and let's use Stone and Garfield. Sure, throw them in there if they got the right, you know, give it a little modern twist. I c- I could see it. You you know what? Let's just make remake every movie and put Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone in it. Like everything. Every like movie ever? Platoon starring Andrew <laughs> Garfield and Emma Stone. And they just they're very cute out in the Vietnam jungle and it's it's you know, there's the sad parts and stuff, but you know, but ultimately it's just them having very cute talk and conversations out there or any movie, really. Godfather. Godfather, you know? They they could have such a cute little conversation. I knew it was you, Emma. Da, 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 da. <laughs> and then they get together. It's really cute. Getting back to Guardians of the Galaxy. Sure. Full circle. Yes. I I cannot say enough good things about this this movie mm. tight script tight story uh tight direction great cast not there's no hole you can really i mean i'm sure you could find something but you have to look i actually i did look i no. i i went on the uh the wonderful happy world that is the internet because you know nobody ever has anything negative to say out there no they're a bunch of positive sallies oh absolutely it's great no. Um, so I actually tried to find some negative reviews, mm. and really the only thing that I saw that got any traction whatsoever, and it was minimal, and I think it deserved to be minimal. At one point, one of the characters refers to another character, another female character, as a whore, and mm. it's used as a comical moment. It's really funny, and that's the thing that that I was seeing as the negative response. People didn't like that because it, it you know, it was anti-feminist views. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, there was nothing bad that I could find people talking about. Oh, yeah, about nobody was like, you know, structurally this movie isn't really good. Like, they have, you know, yeah. Like, yeah. nothing's wrong with it, like, on, on an artistic level in my mind. It's still there. Um, right. You know, all the pieces are there. I got the joy of watching it with uh, with a good friend of the podcast, Mr. Alex. Ah, uh, uh, Yes, in uh, the Granada Theater in good old LeGrand, my hometown. So that was cool to get to see it there. Uh, I was really tired, so I'm going to go see it again, I yes. think. It's a movie that I want to see. I think it kind of, you could watch it twice. You've seen it twice already. I've seen it, and I'm going to go with you. The third time. So we're going to go a third time. We're going to do IMAX, right? 
Oh yeah, I, I that's the thing is I didn't get to see it in 3D, and I kind of I'd like to see it in 3D because it seemed like a movie that would be really good in 3D. Like there was a lot of sort of setup that James Gunn did that looked like it would give some depth to the shots yep. instead of just being woo look at stuff. And I can't think of any moments where you had that that kind of hokey pointing something at the camera to be like woo 3D. Yeah. It was it was it was organic. I, I saw it in 3D. I saw it in IMAX 3D. I haven't gone to the Universal screen, which right, is allegedly the, big one. the, the big only kahuna. real IMAX. Yep. But that's what we're gonna do. Yep. And uh, but no, it definitely holds up uh, for multiple viewings. You mentioned this, the cast. I just wanted to touch on the fact that this was a this was an ensemble cast, an ensemble movie. They gave us, in my opinion, they gave us the same level of connection and relationship that we got with Avengers, only they didn't use individual setup movies. Pretty much uh. 20 minutes, here's five new characters for most people, if you don't follow the comics. These are brand new characters. Five characters... You know who they are, you care about who they are, and you want to see what's going to happen now that they're together. I think my biggest doubt, cast-wise, going in was Bradley Cooper. Because when they announced he was doing Rocket, I'm like, that character just seems like he should be played by Ray Winstone. As someone really, (laughs) you know, gruff voice, like Arnold Schwarzenegger should be Rocket Raccoon. And, you know, he's got guns, he's throwing around. But by putting Bradley Cooper in, I think they get uh, a more plucky but still, you know, fragile. I mean, he's able to be this, you know, smart talking and small guy, yet at the same time have the vulnerability to play them. I don't want to spoil anything, but the moment when he kind of, you, know, you get a little bit of his backstory. Right. And they, ah, oh, it's beautiful. You know, the way Bradley Cooper is able to just play that. So it's a vulnerable moment while watching a raccoon. Right. I felt some emotion <laughs> and felt sadness <laughs> hearing a raccoon talk about his backstory. And, now, I will say that initially I was also down on Cooper. Um, that's not because I didn't think he could do it. Because reading the comics, I do, and I do, I have, I've been reading those since they rebooted them from Marvel now. Uh-huh. Uh, last year, I think it was. Nerd. Uh, yep. In between my, my, my wrestling watching, yes. I like to read my comics. In between Hornswoggle viewings. <laughs> <laughs> but I was only down on Cooper because I had read a, a rumor that M. Oh. Stone was going to play. <laughs> yeah. Um, that, Those are the best uh, rumors. That it was going to be possibly David Tennant of Doctor Who fame. Oh, he'd have And been I was excited as hell about that idea. He'd have been cute. Been right? Cool. But I think Bradley Cooper, you, you hit it on the head. It's He, he brought that kind of smarmy, smart-alecky attitude, but he has the ability as an actor to give the layers and the depth. It's like a plucky Bugs Bunny who wears his heart on his sleeve, you yes. know, like very much like like you. Wa- I was watching that whole movie, uh, and it just felt weirdly enough. You know how like Captain America is supposed to be like the American guy. It was like these guys really feel more like America to me. Like mm-hmm. Star Lord is the plucky but ultimately clumsy guy, but he keeps going. You know, like it. Like to me, that was more American than Captain America's. I mean, again, I like Captain America, but he's very straight arrow and go get him guy and like think that's how america maybe used to be back in the early 1900s but like modern day america since like world war ii very much the plucky party boys oh you yeah know, who are just hey here they are but and you know they're weird and they got some strange hang-ups but ultimately they're good guys and you like them yep i also think you know we've got to point out the animators on that 
helped a lot because I did a great job. Yeah. Like Racket Raccoon, he he was a perfect blend of kind of the ferocious little angry animal creature, but also that adorable, oh my god, he's a cute little right. woodland critter. I don't know how much motion capture they did on Bradley Cooper, but they, the an, the animators or effects guys, or, or this is terrible, I'm sure. I know one person that's at least going to smack me upside the head <laughs> when I don't get this right, but the animation effects guys uh, did an amazing job getting a performance out of Groot and oh, yeah. Rocket. Both both were fully realized characters thanks to the voice actors and the animators. Absolutely. Yep. It was both kind of in tandem. My biggest doubt was Dave Batista. Mm. And that yeah. is because as a wrestling fan, I'm familiar with him as Batista. His body of work. Yes. Yeah. And so and not to say he wasn't good at what he did. Sure. He wasn't great, but it was one of those where I heard, oh, God, he's going to be in this big comic book movie. Yeah. Wrestlers are not always the finest thespians. Right. Hulk and Hogan's body of <laughs> acting work proved that. No, but I thought he was really good. And he he a challenging it. part, too. I mean, the, the way that character delivers his lines is Shakespearean almost. Yes. And so he had to basically pull off Shakespeare-style lines, mm -hmm. not quite the level of Shakespeare, but same kind of vernacular, you know, that kind of thing. So Right. And that's that's what I loved about it was because it wasn't it wasn't just we need a big brawny guy, let's get a wrestler and hope to God he can say his lines right. Right. He without spoiling anything really, this is just a character point. What I liken it to was he's like Sheldon from the Big Bang Theory. <laughs> On steroids. A, li a little bit, if Sheldon worked out more. And I think he nailed it. The having to take everything literally, he hit it on the head. Oh, yeah. No, they did a good job with that. Chris Pratt, holy crap. His level of humor was exactly what the script and that character needed. Oh, yeah. He was like White Will Smith. He was <laughs> he was really good. Yep. But the biggest one, and I just want to, um, we'll, uh, we'll move on from this here and get to our guest. The biggest one for me, and really she wasn't even a question mark once I saw the first, you know, image and stuff came out, but Zoe. She does seem to like playing aliens a right? lot. Right. Going from Star Trek to this. Avatar. Avatar. That's right. Yeah. Uh, yeah she's, maybe she's not one of us. That's a theory. You know what? Uh, that'll be a rumor on the internet now. <laughs> oh, crap. I got to be careful what I say. She's huh? also Emma Stone, just oh. in case you're wondering. Yeah. Interesting. She was actually, hands down, my favorite out of the whole the whole cast. Um, and it was because I felt she did a good job of playing two characters, basically. Mm. I, you, she was just as likely to be a bad guy, violent cutting somebody up and also be a vulnerable human she played that yeah. assassin with a heart of gold no no absolutely yep great and, work and with the prosthetics on her face i thought she did phenomenal with her eyes the word no, that, that is tricky yeah with just her eyes was great no she did an excellent job we've got another guest with us Woo. this week joining us today uh we've actually got him via satellite here um, <laughs> I don't know. What do you call this? Via internet? That's, Via that, Star I think Trek. that's technically, technically, I think it's satellite, isn't it? Is it satellite? Okay. Oh, Via Star Trek. Via, via yes. transporter. Via, via, via tricorder comms <laughs> unit. Um, 
long range radio. There you go. Yep. Uh, so coming in on the CB, we've got Chuck Peters, uh, owner, creator, uh, director, masseuse of Chuck It Films. Thanks for joining us, Chuck. Hi. Brian, say hi. Hi, wait, hi Chuck. Of course I say hi to Chuck. <laughs> Chuck of Chuck It Films. This, Chuck of Chuck It Films. Wow. You say that's fun to say. It is. You've got a current project going on we want to get to, um, but first and foremost, how, how are things up in the land of Oregon? Well, uh, as you know, uh, hell has opened forth and is burning everything. <laughs> and uh, Damn you, Hellmouth. Yeah, the damn Hellmouth has opened up and let, let, just laid waste to all of our greenery. <laughs> um, thankfully, here in La Grande, we apparently are protected by some hemp shield that <laughs> repels the fire and smoke and keeps it safe. It's Buffy. Be honest. It's Buffy. Puffy. Not Buffy, but Puffy. <laughs> Puffy, the, Puffy the vampire slayer? You need to make Puffy that. Puffy the hemp blower. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us a little bit about Chuck at Films. What is, what is it you guys do there? Basically, what we've tried to do, or what I've tried to do, because Chuck at Films is basically me, um, is just kind of tell the stories we want to tell without that feeling like it's got to be a Hollywood production. Okay. Uh, I had a friend of mine a long time ago who asked me about filmmaking and what I wanted to be as a filmmaker, and it took me forever to really answer the question because he was like, do you want to be like a Hollywood filmmaker? Do you want to be like, or do you want to be like Oregon's Kevin Smith? And for a long time I was like, God, that's such a stupid question. And then like this year it's like, no, it's really not. I really want to be Oregon's Kevin Smith okay. <laughs> nice. because he makes films. He tells the stories he wants to tell, and he uses the people he wants to use. And from what I can gather, his films don't run like Hollywood films where you got these egos everywhere and people are just nasty. It's like I like laid back and just having fun with it. So You, you wanted um, to grow some organic free trade film that you could sell at the film farmer's market. Precisely. And kind of be like, hey, this wasn't sprinkled with douchebags. There's no GMOs in this. Yeah, no GMOs, no CEOs, <laughs> no no, no trash put on this. No douche. We are no douche-free. Douche-free. A like douche-free it. film studio. <laughs> um, so what have you got going on right now? You've got a, you're, you're, you've got a project that's in development? Yes. Uh, we have a project right now. It's a stop-motion Lego series, uh, web series for YouTube called Hack and Dasher. And it's something really kind of dear to my heart. We, we've, I've done the stop motion before with some really good people here. and uh, kind of really wanted to get back into it, but wanted to tell kind of an original story. But, you know, it's really hard to say original story, maybe original, weird, goofy, parody, satirical telling of an original story, I guess. It might <laughs> nice. Make it as complicated as possible so I don't actually have to explain myself. But... Really wanted to get back into it and came up with this idea of Hack and Asher, and that led, of course, to, hey, we're going to need some stuff, and so we ended up running a Kickstarter, and that's going on, and we're looking to start really going into animation probably December, possibly January at the latest, because we got a lot of goals to meet if the thing goes through, so nice. we're going to be animating like mad. Very nice. Now you mentioned uh, you mentioned your Kickstarter. Mm. Where can people find that first and foremost? Because for those people that don't know, Kickstarter is a it's a internet based basically it's a community for for investors for for real everyday people that want to invest in projects. And so, how can people find this if they want to go ahead and uh, and and donate some funds and help get this made? 
It's uh, it's not too hard to find. If you go to Kickstarter and just search Hack and Nasher, or I think if you even search my name, it pops up. Okay. And we'll also, on the, the, the Final Hour website, we'll go ahead and make sure to put a link and all the oh, ways cool. they can talk to, contact you as well. And also, you're on Twitter at, uh, at Team Chuck It, and also uh, you're on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash Chuck It Films, correct? Correct. Okay, cool. Now, I, I have to ask, as someone that has not donated to your Kickstarter yet, you... but is hoping to intend to, okay, <laughs> I want you to, what is Hack and Nasher about? It sounds a great name, I just have to say right off the bat. Hack and Nasher is the story of a young Sandraker. Think kind of a Luke Skywalker. She's wanting adventure. She's wanting to do something else other than go outside. She just rakes sand all day. That's what she does. And she rakes it in different forms and thinks it's like, it never looks any different. I can sympathize you know, with that. It's it's yeah, it's freaking sand. <laughs> and and she lives she doesn't just live in like a hut in the desert, she lives in a hovel. Like it's <laughs> like parts of walls and no roof. Ouch. And like she really doesn't have anything, but she's just happy because life's simple. But she, she feels herself yearning for something else. So she she decides to like go visit her parents and in the way of this, she runs into a character called the Proctor, who is very much a parody of BBC's Doctor Who the doctor. So he's just called the proctor. And the doctor, of course, you know, being a doctor, he mends, he fixes, he helps. A proctor, by definition, just does. So <laughs> if you want something, if you want to complete something bad enough, he's going to come along and help you do it. And she, deep down, really wants an adventure bad enough, so he's there to help facilitate her adventure. But <laughs> uh, without knowing who she is or anything about her, she runs into his uh, twit, which is kind of like the TARDIS, but it looks like an old outhouse, like kind of like a, <laughs> like one of those outhouses you'd find at a rest stop. It stands for Timey Wimey Interstellar Transport. Nice. That's a good name. And the, the, the beauty thing about the twit is one, well, it's kind of ugly. And two, uh, when you go inside, it's not bigger on the inside so much as taller on the inside. <laughs> so you walk in and it's a very small room. So she's like, what's so great about this? And then you look up and you're like, it goes up and up and up and there's doorways in floors and they walk into a floor and the gravity shifts and they fall on the floor. So she ends up in a place where it's like the biggest tower ever. Okay. She just keeps going up. Nice. So taller on the inside instead of bigger on the inside. And this character is a character. The Proctor is actually one I'd written for myself because I just love Doctor Who. And I thought, Oh, I'm going to have so much fun with this. And then I auditioned this guy and this guy was so ridiculously good and I had yeah. to give him my part that I Ouch. wrote for myself because wow. I knew I wasn't going to be able to do it as good as he did. That is some selfless filmmaking right that, there. That is that is actually a really good sign of things to come for this project. If you're <laughs> if you're one of those filmmakers that can step out of the way and go, whoa, whoa, whoa wait, wait, this guy can do it better than I ever could. That's you awesome. are the you are the anti M Night Shyamalan. <laughs> <laughs> well, kind of like I'm a try to make a quick tangent here that's how mark shepherd ended up in the firefly tv series really uh yeah the listen to the commentary of the pilot uh mark shepherd had auditioned and just the part of that character i can't remember what his name is was going to be played by joss whedon he was going to be that bad guy who's like you know that only matters if you're on the rim you know and <laughs> he was so excited to be him and then he auditioned mark shepherd and went shit Dang. And put Mark Shepard in. So I feel like if that was a good example right there of how you handle things. I mean, Daniel Wagner will be playing the part of the Proctor. And not too many people know Daniel yet. Mm. But I have a feeling they're going to. 
Right. Because <laughs> the man is crazy talented. Nice. And he and I he mean, is he's a local there for La Grande, Oregon, right? Yeah. And that's something that you're actually trying to focus on with this project. Something I, I read on the Kickstarter is is that you're looking to primarily use local talent, right? Yeah. With the projects I kind of hope to do, I have a couple other projects in mind for later. I really don't want to pull people or have to use people from out of town. I'd, I'd rather use local people and give them all a chance to try it because it's like, why not? You know, you never know. Someone might find, discover something about themselves that they didn't know they had. Or yeah. I mean, that basically that's what happened to me. I came to the school as a football player, and that's all I was going to do. It was just play football, and then I had to take a humanities class. So I thought, oh, acting. I've never done that before, and that's literally how I got into it. Well, and and I will say, Brian and I both we actually we met in college uh, there in the Grand, and mm-hmm. uh, and and we both have. I, I came back to California. He and he and his wife relocated down here. And one thing for me that was kind of my reasoning for for wanting to come back down here, among other things, was a lack of opportunity in in that town in that region. And I personally think it's really great that that's what you're providing. You're literally giving the voiceover work is not something that anybody out there really would have a shot at getting involved with whatsoever. And you're providing no for it. No, you're right. And, uh, you know, we did it once before with planet TR five, seven and had a really good experience with that. And like, uh, I know Brian's brother, Jordy was a big part of that. And, we had him on the podcast last. He's our last guest. Yeah. Yes. He was our guest last time. He, he still speaks highly of his time in the TR five, seven trenches. Yep. He, w- he was one of those guys that really kind of stole the show. Uh, we had a really good cast, and and that's really what I liked about it was giving people the opportunity. Like, I know a lot of the actors that were auditioning were really interested because they're like, wow, voiceover? I've, mm-hmm. I've never done voiceover, and that's that's a way of life for some people out there in the business. Mm-hmm. You know, All they do is voiceover work, like, like freaking Kevin Conroy, oh. the <laughs> voice of Batman. I have no idea what the hell he looks like. Right? I've never seen his face. I assumed he was just like a suit – with a with like a mega horn yeah. on his neck, and that's all. And then they just adjusted it to the right level for whatever <laughs> mic they were using. What voice would you like today? Click. It's like the dude who's Optimus Prime. It's the same thing. Well, yeah. And and, and uh, the the voice of uh, of Archer. On oh, it's oh, John Benjamin. Yeah. Yeah. He looks nothing like what you would expect when you watch Archer. <laughs> it's true. And I think voiceover work in general is a great thing for that reason. Is it's. I mean, if you're if you're talented enough, and if you especially if you can put on different voices, um, you get to transcend the physical body you were born with. You get to be whatever the animators want to make you. Yeah, including tiny little Lego guys. It reminds me a lot of like it's like the reverse of like uh, Greek acting with masks. Yeah, you know, it's very similar to that where it's but you don't have the body to help convey the message either. It's you've got to convey every bit of it with your voice. Mm-hmm. Yes. And make it believable, and I think we've got a group of people that can do it. Heck, Seth sitting there has got to play two different guys that yep. talk across from each other, so I'm really excited to see him do that. I'm, I'm loving it because I'm getting therapy. I get to argue with myself. I'm getting therapy without having <laughs> to pay for it. So Two for uh, one. I'm super excited for this project. I think it's going to be great, and I can't wait for it to get started. Well, you know, funny story is uh, – I wrote the scripts, and I had seven scripts. I'm like, okay, it's just going to be a seven-episode season. They're going to be about three minutes a pop, and that's it. And here's these characters. And then I cast all you people, and I went, 
oh my god, these scripts aren't good enough. Oh, <laughs> oh. my god, There's, they have so much potential to be so much better than what I wrote. I've got to rewrite every <laughs> single one and add like three episodes just to tie shit together. <laughs> oh my god. So like, yeah, I'm like going through the scripts and like, okay, we got to take, we we need more. We're gonna need more of. Are you Game of Thronesing? Are you George yeah. R. R. Martining? I'm, There's I extra am. characters that don't need to be there, and now you're adding them, and it's gonna be like seven books later. No, I found. Do not like, die before you finish this, Chuck. I, I grabbed a I grabbed a fat guy who was in line at KFC and told him how it ended, just in case I didn't make. It. Okay, <laughs> okay. Unless he dies of double down poisoning, we're okay. Yeah, that's true. You probably don't want to. You don't want to pick your your hope for something to to outlast you at a KFC. I'm just going to put that out there. <laughs> I, I figured if you could stomach that, you could handle anything. That's true. That could have been wrong. That's true. Yeah, it's no, like, no. It's I like think you were, you were right to trust him, and I'm glad to know that the, the ending is, is safely ensconced within its buttery, corny, deliciously fried walls. <laughs> Somewhere there's a fat dude sitting in front of a chair with just grease all over his shirt going, why the hell did he tell me about Lego guys running around the moon? I mean, what the hell am I going to do with that? That's keeping me up at night. I can't concentrate on my eating. <laughs> it's getting in the way of my. It's getting in the way of my chicken. I had a couple questions about this uh, hack and nasher. Um, cool. Ba- just based off what you were just telling us, you mentioned a cool feature is uh, going through the tower as they go through a door. It's going to be like gravity will shift. Right now, is that with stop anim- uh, stop animation? And and by all means, feel free to to treat it as if none of us have any idea, because I'm sure a lot of our listeners have no idea really how that process works. That kind of a... Help me out here, Brandon. Words are hard. Um, no, words that, and That stuff. kind of a, a physic, physics technique or physics element uh, of just doing gravity shifts is that... I mean, obviously, you just turn the set or turn the camera at one point, but doing the transition, is that... How do, how do, you, how do you tackle that as stop animation? Wow, I need to sleep. <laughs> you sir are like uh, conan o'brien who has not slept in seven weeks can you repeat that question so i can understand what the hell you're trying to ask if i heard if i heard you correctly what you asked was when you're shifting like gravity from one room to the next how hard is that going to be that, is that what you're yes asking? What are okay. the challenges you're anticipating facing? It sounds like since you're doing sort of Doctor Who kind of a thing, and it sounds very science fiction, you mentioned the moon, I'm anticipating you're going to have some very big challenges. What are the challenges you're worried about uh, or that are keeping you up at night like the KFC kid that you're like, man, how am I going to do this? With those situations, it's going to be kind of a new realm because with here, like everything we've done so far, we haven't really done anything that off the wall. I've been watching like, I want to say he's in Australia. I can't remember where he's at though. There's a kid I've been watching who does phenomenal technique with animating people flying through the air and falling down. And and I've been kind of studying how he's doing it. Basically, he uses a uh, rod through a piece of green foam core, mm-hmm. okay. which is what we actually use for a green screen. And he cut it about like that big, and he sticks it through and attaches it to the Lego guy. So basically the Lego guy is in front of a miniature green screen, and then he just keys out the green so he can make the guy fall on the wires on the other side like back here so the camera can't see it anyway. So that's a possibility. Uh, we've gotten aw- we've gotten away a lot with using Sculpey, that clay. We uh, stick it to their feet. We stick it to all sorts of their body parts to make things kind of they walk in places they shouldn't be able to walk. And it's usually so fast that people don't see the white clay on their feet. 
Nice. Um, cool. With far shifting rooms, it's going to be, I think the beauty there is going to be, we're going to be able to get away with a lot of the cuts, like cut that first moment of them falling, jumping to the room, foot's on the ground and they're falling in. So it's really, I don't think it's going to be as hard as, as it, as it could be. But you know, I'm saying that now until I actually get in the, the foxhole, I won't know what I'm in for. <laughs> it, could, it could just be nuts and just crazy. I'm already starting to, look at the sets and go, oh, God, I've got to change this because the camera I'm using now is going to be bigger and I'm not going to be able to get as close, so I've got to open the walls up more. And So, yeah, it's, it's going to be a challenge and obstacles the whole way. It's and, all fun and games, Mr. Spielberg, until the Raptors have to open the door and then you're screwed. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Um, and then you're screwed. And, and now that's, that's – The shark is working. I repeat, the shark is working. Exactly. <laughs> that's some of what the Kickstarter is for, though, right? That's the um... – Yeah. Uh, you're getting new equipment. You're getting top of the line camera gear and, and software to do this, right? Yeah, we're getting the Kickstarter is basically set up to purchase a DSLR camera that we could wire like through like USB directly to the camera. We were attempting to do it with the app running on an iPad and wirelessly connected to an iPhone, but even with a strong signal, the uh, it seemed like the iPad or the iPhone couldn't maintain that connection. Okay. wirelessly like it would just time out even if they were both running and they weren't asleep they would just lose the signal and mm. then you have to fidget with the phone to kind of get it back on and then you've moved the camera and then it was just it just Jeez. you just lost you lost everything you did so you had to start over right so yeah basically what we we're doing is we we're looking at getting a digital slr camera one that actually shoots video in hd as well so that we can use it hopefully for other projects too the software which is originally priced at like 500 bucks and they've marked down to 50 bucks so i'm wow. considering that really That's lucky. some savings right there <laughs> and then the rest was gonna be budgeted for purchasing right now what we're looking at meeting is a lot of sand because a lot of it actually the whole first season takes place out in the sand Okay. And they're running around. The little rock guy, the way he moves to the sand is he drops down to eye level and moves to the sand because his people don't believe in walking on sand. They think it's blasphemous. So he has to actually like walk through the sand so his little head just scurries around, but sand needs to spit up and stuff so that yeah. it looks like he's actually moving through the you ground. You couldn't have made it easier on yourself, yeah. could you? No, no. Well, the little like, dude, you, you were like, what's the hardest way I could make this person move? Oh, there we go. You know, Good job, what, Chuck. You could go with levitation. That might actually have just made everything easy. Christopher Nolan always says that if you're not, if it's not, if you're not, if it's not hard for you, it's not, uh, you're not doing it the right way. So, damn it, Christopher Nolan. Let Set the words of Nolan ring true in your ears. Damn child. it, damn it, Nolan. Inception, you inceptuous bastard. <laughs> inceptuous should be a word to describe um, something. It should. Those inceptuous He's getting in people. our brains. The other question I had, and it really isn't a question, I guess, so much as something that I was interesting when you were explaining this it sounds like your your lead character at least one of them uh is a female yes it seems weird to have to point that out that it's a rarity but it we talked about it in a previous episode actually we, we talked about it just recently when we were watching spider-man 2 because i was like this gwen stacy just seems to be here to move plot man yeah. she doesn't seem to be getting much <laughs> going on here so it is nice to see a female lead I have a question just as a fellow writer. How do you write female leads? Because I find it, I mean, I don't find it difficult, but it, I mean, it's tricky. To get, you have you have a feminine character and you are clearly not a female. So how, how do you go about it? It's, you know, I think some people would say it's really hard. I've only written a couple female leads that people have ever actually read. Because I don't mostly like TR57 was you know there was there was salami everywhere in that one, 
and uh, it was all awesome. except for one part. And she, it was, she was a disguised man, so you know that wasn't hard to write. I guess I just kind of looked at her. I didn't really write for a woman. I just wrote for someone who had something they wanted and how about they win it to get it. I didn't really like think about how to write as a woman as much as you know how to write as someone who was interesting and had needs and just you know needed them fulfilled. I guess I just subtracted out. I tried to subtract out some of the aggression, but she's kind of a tomboy, so the aggression comes right back. That can work out. But I mean, so, it sounds like you just locked onto like universal themes, and we're all people, so we all want something. So yeah, no. I, I read and watched a lot of Joss Whedon interviews and watched a lot he of is. Buffy. He is good at it. <laughs> Watched a lot of Buffy. I, I never really thought about answering that question. I wrote another script about uh, some zombies. I got good comments about the lead female in that one, and I don't remember really feeling like I was trying to write a woman per se. Is trying to write someone who was in a bad relationship and trying to find a way out and trying to find out what her motivations would be to get out of it. What, I, such. what I'm taking from you that I'm going to use in my writing is that women are people. And that you should just write people. See, I've just been trying to pretend to be a woman, and it's not been going well. It's, it's been entertaining going as hell to watch. I'm yeah. not gonna lie. So I'm just gonna I'm just gonna realize that women are people and not be a sexist dick. So that's my new plan. Thank you. There was a great uh, line Joss Whedon said because someone asked him, you know, why do you write for women all the time, or why do you often write for women? And his answer was, I write for women because one day no one's gonna ask me that. <laughs> or something like that. Like yeah. he was like, I write for him because you you still have to ask me why. Right. Yeah. Well, and it is. And, that's. I think that's why Seth you know, was so taken with the idea of a female lead. And that's kind of a. It's a thing that you don't see often enough. Yeah. Well, I, th- I think it helps guys too if they if they can latch on to a female lead that they can identify with. Then that's some uh, male stereotypical bullshit we're breaking there, boys. So. Yeah. Are you breaking new ground there? Absolutely. And so you're telling me that uh, this series is going to revolutionize gender in America. <laughs> That's the promise I just heard. Yes, with dick and fart jokes. So. Hooray. <laughs> Probably no dick jokes and more fart jokes because we're really aiming it at the little kids. Okay. Oh, nice. We, okay. we, want, we want it to be some kind of tier five seven where kids and parents can both sit and watch it and both laugh at it. That's smart. And that's, what, that's really, I mean, it, it creates a nice audience pool for us, but I really found that watching kids and parents both enjoy TR57 was so ridiculously rewarding because it was something that they could share that, you know, the kids didn't have to feel like weird about sharing with the parents and right. they just kind of sat and laughed, you know, and I was like, that's that's really what I want. I there's, want there's not I enough like stuff that. on the internet that people, that families can enjoy together. Having just recently watched Nicki Minaj's latest music video, I can tell you that you really couldn't watch that with your kids. So I'm glad that there's content <laughs> being made that parents and kids can enjoy together. Well, here's, here's hoping, you know. I really I really dig it. Now, you're not just a filmmaker. You're also... Um, you're also uh... Who have you been talking to, Seth? <laughs> <laughs> those, those lies about the Mexico border running are... They're lies, Seth. They're lies. Those drugs were never I've meant never, to be I've there. never been a mule for anyone. <laughs> well, this is a little awkward. I wasn't going there. Um, but oh, thanks, crap. Thanks for the revelation. No, let's, you let's are also... Cut let's cut all that. Nope, you, nope, are M. Night, you are M. Night Shyamalan. That was a twist. <laughs> 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 no, uh, you are, are also a bit of a sports fan. Yes. You wouldn't be celebrating some sort of a, I don't know, some kind of a championship that happened earlier uh, in the year that's not going <laughs> to repeat this yeah. year. Right? I've been a Seahawks fan since 1980, oh gosh, two? 
let's just put it this way. If I stay Steve Largent, you know who I'm talking about, don't you? <laughs> Steve Largent, Jim Zorn. Uh, who's the other ones I can remember? Brian Mike Bosworth. Brown. Oh, nobody can forget Bosworth. <laughs> I, I um, used to be a Seahawks fan before they burned me so hard that I had to go love Joe Montana. <laughs> and so I traitorously switched in my youth and have been a Niners fan ever since. So this has been a terrible year for me, and I'm just going to go cry. <laughs> no, I've been uh, I've been di- I've been pretty much uh, pretty faithful to them since uh, since '82. You know Largent, Jim Zorn to Largent and Craig to Largent were amazing to watch. And and we talked about this in our first episode how the Super Bowl was not really a football game so much as a beating. But I will say I respect you for hanging on that long, and it's it's <laughs> it's fandom like that that is why I say the Bears are gonna win the Super Bowl. I was just about to bring up the Chicago. I haven't won a Super Bowl <laughs> since Madonna was a really big artist. <laughs> since since the Super Bowl shuffle. That's yeah. right. That is right. Um, but so not only do you watch it, uh, you're gonna be. I know you've done this before, but uh, you're gonna be embarking on uh, quite a venture with Brian and I and a few other friends. Uh, getting involved in the fantastical world of fantasy football. I'm drafting Gandalf. I, <laughs> I, I, I think I played fantasy football last about ten years ago. Oh, wait, so it's it's been a while. So has it been yeah. around that long? Marshawn Lynch is no good to draft anymore. Just want to take that one off the table for you. <laughs> oh, Don't okay, get okay. Lynch, he's not good anymore. He's so gone the last downhill. years and last couple of years, Seattle fluke. Got it. Got yeah, it. no problem. I actually this this is just this made me smile. I got an email from some ESPN thing with their like top five sleepers of the week or whatever, and I thought <laughs> it was going to be a really sexy article. I thought it was some kind of like like a like you know like they're, ooh, they're, ooh, they're sleeping around with, but it's apparently <laughs> uh, sleepers means something else in fantasy football. I, I'll read it sometime <laughs> figure it out. But uh, number one on the list, Jay Cutler. Really? Yeah. I, I don't know why. I, I'll add really question mark, question mark, question. <laughs> I'll put three on mine. Really? But, but I uh, think as long as they've got Tressman as a coach, I don't think you can count Cutler as a sleeper. I mean, McCown and Cutler were both ridiculously dynamic last year mm-hmm. when they were in. So I don't think <laughs> that's weird that they put them as a sleeper. I don't, I, him as a, cause I wouldn't I, count him as a sleeper. I feel like it's because he's on Chicago. Like oh, anybody yeah. on the Chicago Bears is considered a sleeper, no matter how good they are. Mm. That's the problem. No, but, I I just have to say uh, I would not pick him as a sleeper, but I would pick him only. I I, I would stay away from Jay Cutler personally, just because the guy can't seem to go through a full season without getting something wrong with him. Like some injury happens. Maybe this is the year. You're giving me that look. Maybe this is the year he doesn't. <laughs> but you, you know. know, last year they had a. They were at the beginning of the season. They still were having offensive line troubles. Mm. And then wasn't it last year they dumped Karimi and uh, – so. or was that the year before? I think no, no, that was last, last year. You're right. Yeah, and then year. the defense last year was like – Oh, God. Uh, but they figured uh, out the offensive line last year. Like they seemed to play mm-hmm. better. And that's been a big problem on their side for like last, what, four or five years is that offensive line? Yeah. yeah. And Alshon I mean, Jeffrey certainly didn't hurt anything. Oh, God. Yeah. He's definitely going to be a big boon for him. And hopefully if Martellus Bennett doesn't feel like beating the crap out of any more rookies, they might that be good. on the field too. <laughs> that would be nice to have him not punch um, people on the field. I, I Actually, speaking of that, speaking of the offseason um, hijinks, something else I noticed that's really strange this offseason, um, I don't know if you guys have picked up on it, there have been, like, no murders. <laughs> 
I just want to point out, I had Aaron Hernandez in a th- in a in a dynasty fantasy league, in a keeper league, and it was the most brutal moment ever. I mean, hey, I just want to say right off the bat, how dare what an awful person based on he killed somebody. But also, just okay, so I got that caveat out of the way. But also, screw that guy for doing that. <laughs> for many reasons and one of the reasons waiting on, on the list is that you are my tight end of the future Aaron Hernandez and you broke my heart I feel well, like I feel like I'm in the godfather too you broke my heart right now I knew it was you well you know the preseason's not over and Richie Incognito is still not signed <laughs> so there, still, there's, there's still a potential a chance. there at least he's gonna go find somebody and take their candy away from him and bully him a little bit that'd be right? nice That'd be, that'd be a good little yeah. headline. Um, um, which is funny because he's got that last name, but he's, he completely is, isn't incognito about anything. You it know, is the most like, ironic hey, name in the NFL. Turn. Yeah. <laughs> so I have to ask, just this is giving away a little bit. I feel like we're, we're, we're in public here. We, we, got, we, have a, we have a duty to people. Who would be your number one pick? Yeah, who? As we're coming up. Oh, yeah, tell, me, tell me right now. Who am I going to steal from before you, you when I get the first draft? Well, you know, I've, since uh, Seth invited me in, I've actually been doing some looking into it. Rex Grossman. Following some of the, and you know they they often say you know don't draft they really don't draft the quarterback too early because it's such a deep quarterback pool, mm. uh, but I think I would probably gamble on Wilson. Okay, Ooh. you know it'd be a big gamble because yeah. Pete Pete Carroll's really focused on kind of taking the training wheels off with him this year, and I think the last game he played I think he played just the half I think he threw over 200 yards or something. Oh, he, went, he was out of his mind. He's been playing really well. as a Niner I fan. Mean, I'm really disheartened by how well he's playing in the preseason. He's I'm a, very annoying. His, well, his career at NC State and I think it Wisconsin. He actually threw the ball very well. Yeah, no, he's a great quarterback. I really wish he's he was got a 49er. zip. Yeah, he's got zip on it. He can hit the deep throws. I mean, I, if but you know, I think I'd, that's probably where I'd go. I'd probably go Wilson just because of the love for Seattle and I think he's going to have a some he I think is going to be a major sleeper. Yeah. Really? Uh what about yeah. Marshawn Lynch? How what do you think he's gotten? Is, do you do you think here's my my scare on Marshawn Lynch is the guy has had such a huge workload for the past 3-4 years. Does he have more left in the tank? I feel like this might be the Steven Jackson year where maybe he falls off a little bit. See, I I think they've got the right idea cuz it sounds like Seattle really wants to try to switch to committee, mm. which means they can take some of that pressure off him cuz they think uh they feel like Kristen McMichael is going to be another Lynch clone. Yeah. And they really like Robert Turbin. So they're going to they're, it sounds like they're trying to focus on that committee. Yeah. Um, I would I think Lynch is probably if but if Lynch had to carry the load himself, he's probably got one more year in him because in Buffalo he really didn't play that much. He kind of got injured and was down and then sat on the bench behind uh who was it Fred Jackson. Yeah, Fred Jackson just seems to constantly be the Bills running back no matter who they get, it's Fred Jackson. Yeah. You can see CJ Spiller, it's Fred Jackson. They yeah. just need to quit drafting running backs cuz he's going to be there forever. <laughs> right. Yeah, he's just not giving up. So Seth, your number 1 pick. My number 1 pick? Yes. Yeah. Well, uh other than Rex Grossman? Other than Rex Grossman. <laughs> um, or Josh I, uh, McCown. Which, by the way, I, I just want to say, you know, if you are thinking of, of taking a, a bit of a gamble, I mean, with, with Russell Wilson, it's not a huge gamble, but with a bit of a gamble of going quarterback that early, I will say as a Seahawks fan for you, trust me, that is a tasty gamble because when it works, it feels twice as good. It's, <laughs> it's your guy who's also your guy. Yeah, um, yeah. That being said, I d- You're we, taking Jay Cutler. No. We get it. No. I, I would not go first round Jay Cutler even as a Chicago fan, or maybe especially because I'm a Chicago fan and I've felt the hurt and cried the tears. Forte? Um, 
<laughs> Forte would be a good one. It depends where my, where I sit in the first round. Um, this league that we're in sits at 12 teams right now. We might bump it up to 14. So oh, cool. it, depending on where I sit, if I'm in the first few, yeah, I probably would grab maybe a Forte or something like that, go for a strong running back. But since we're actually doing a PPR league, uh, point per reception league, wide receivers are oh, good point. very, very, very powerful. So a lot of the strategy that you see out there about go for a top five running back or, or then go to the quarterback, I almost put wide receivers, some of them, on the same level as good running backs. So mm. I might, depending on where I sit, I might go for a quarterback, not Cutler. As much as I hate to say it, I might go for something like a Rodgers, which just burns inside whenever Ouch. I have to root for him. But um, <laughs> Which I will say, as a person, I, I like him way more than Brett Favre. Brett Favre always came off as kind of a, a little bit of a douche to me. Aaron Rodgers seems like a good guy. He's just playing for the wrong team. But I'd probably say Jeffries. Jeffries. Okay. Alshon. Jeffries. Okay. He would be your first pick. Uh, depending on where I sit. Let's say you're sitting in the top five. If I'm in the top five, I'm going to go with a running back. And who would you go with? <sighs> Specifically, you're the number three pick. Let's go with that. Oh, uh, I'll probably I'd, I'd go Forte. Forte. He yeah. doesn't get injured. I will give Forte that. He's reliable. Yeah. He's very reliable. I personally, if I'm sitting at the number one pick, um, it's first important round, to point out. It's important to point out. Nobody asked you. Uh, <laughs> I asked me. <laughs> I am. You. You have a mic that makes things happen, and my mic makes me talk <laughs> and I'm talking about who I would pick if Sorry. I had the number one pick it'd be Adrian Peterson I think Adrian Still. Peterson is going to have a monster he's going to have a bigger year he may have one of the biggest fantasy years ever wow he has now, North you... Turner as a coach who loves to run the That's football true. and when he throws the ball he throws to his running backs so I think it's going to be a huge year for Adrian Peterson but do you think he's going to be how long do you think till he's game ready because they've been keeping him out of the preseason haven't they I think they're sitting him uh, because they want to keep him for the regular season. They don't even want to take chances. Right. He's going to be – I mean, I think they're going to give Terry Bridgewater a chance way sooner than they're talking about. I think he's going to be there. And when you got a rookie quarterback, you got to have a really good running game. And I think they're going to really let Adrian Peterson more off the leash than they've ever. And I think when Terry Bridgewater's back there scrambling, he's going to be dumping it off to Adrian Peterson. So I just think if I've got that number one pick, I'm taking Adrian Peterson. I, I, I would agree with that. I think he's just too good to pass up. Do either of you – think that we will ever see another good season out of Chris Johnson. Mm. He is in uh, Yeah, he's in Jet now. New York Jet. He's a Jet now. I yeah. missed that. Wow. No. Oh god. This he is, is how no busy longer. I've been. Uh yeah. No, uh he is a Jet now. He's the New York Jets and I think he's got a couple guys. I think Rex Ryan will run him in a committee. Oh. Uh, and so I I I think he's still always got that big play potential cuz he's so fast. Uh, the Jets do love to run the football, and it ain't like they're going to let Geno Smith throw it all day. So, sure, I think <laughs> he has value, but am I taking him first or second round? Probably not. Right. Well, we were talking a little bit earlier about uh, about Guardians, Spider-Man, and whatnot. I'm I'm curious. Uh, what what you know, as a filmmaker, as a director, what was your takeaway on Guardians of the Galaxy? You know, I watched the trailer, and I was kind of like, you know, I really want to see this. I think it's going to be good, but I'm not quite sure. And then watching it, I was just like. I thought it was a really well put together film. I thought the script was very cool. I, I didn't have any any back history backstory with uh, the Guardians at all, and having just come into the story they were telling and the background and the story they were going to be setting up, I thought it was very cool. That was a very good film. I really enjoyed it. Very cool. I yeah. loved the uh, my favorite story on the on the making of it. Uh, I guess James Gunn turned in his first draft of the script to the Marvel Brain Trust, which is like Joss Whedon, Kevin Feige. 
and they give it back to him. The only note they had is, like, I guess he said he wrote a very safe script because he's like, okay, I mean, it's Marvel. They don't want me to do me. They want me to write this. So he wrote a very safe, commercially viable script, and they handed it back to him and said, this isn't a James Gunn movie. That's why we hired you. You need to redo this. <laughs> and so he went back in, and he's like, I just, I, so I just went in, I wrote a really long conversation where they're just sitting in the spaceship talking. They're not fighting anybody. They're not doing anything. They're just having a conversation, and they loved it, and they were like, this, this is the movie we wanted to make. And I think Actually, that's the thing that Marvel's been doing so well. Is they pick filmmakers with a unique voice, match them to the right kind of film, and then let them go. They don't. Yeah. They want a. J- they wanted a James Gunn movie, within reason. They didn't want Slither, or you know, <laughs> you know maybe not an R-rated James Gunn film, but a PG-13 James Gunn film. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what they got. And I thought that was really brilliant on their part. I uh, <laughs> speaking of actually the first draft of the script and and whatnot. I saw Vin Diesel when he was on uh, the Tonight Show with Fallon. And mm. he was talking about, uh, they were talking about the soundtrack, which I I have I I don't think I've, no, we haven't had a chance to talk, to talk about it on this show yet. But I I'm in absolute love with the soundtrack. I I bought it as soon as I got out of the movie. I I went on Google and bought the damn thing. I've been listening to it pretty much nonstop ever since. And uh, and I was I loved how it was intertwined in this in the actual story. They gave a valid reason for for why we were hearing mm. the songs we were hearing. And Vin Diesel actually said uh, that James Gunn actually picked all of those songs, and literally they were written in from the earliest iteration of the script. It uh, he actually already had the songs in there. Like when he wrote the story, he included those songs, and I think that's why it works. That's pretty cool. I think uh, there's been some talk. I, I caught somebody online talk about saying uh, how much better of a of a team film Galaxy is than Avengers. And mm. so there's kind of this. I don't know if it's really going to blow up into anything bigger, but there's like this beginning rumblings. Oh, Galaxy's better than Avengers. And I, I just kind of uh. want to say, I don't really think I. You can't really dismiss them as two separate films. I don't think because. When you think about what Marvel's doing with Phase One, Two, and Three, it is literally the biggest film ever made. Right. It's like one film, and they're all in the same universe, all telling part of a humongous story. Yeah. So I don't think you can really say one's better than the other. You know, you can list your favorites, but I don't think it, it, they're li- they literally are one big film. Right. I mean, no, it, it's, it's like going to saying... be amazing. It'd be like saying Russell Wilson's right arm is better than his left foot. It's like no, exactly. we like all we like all of those things. Those all yeah. those all are part of the Russell Wilson package. I, I will <laughs> I will say one thing that I was really happy about. It was a risky move. Um, Very. Even even as a comic book fan, as somebody who I actually read the Guardians of the Galaxy, when I heard that they were doing the movie, I wasn't that excited. I was like, oh, really? That's a that's brave. That's an interesting. I didn't choice. even know who they were. Right, and that's that's <laughs> I was what like, they did what so the hell well. Is Guardians of the Galaxy. That's what they did so well. Is it's uh, as somebody who does read it, I loved some of the stuff that I picked up on from the comics, uh, but that the, exactly what you just said. You didn't know who they were, and you still liked the movie. They did such a good job of making it accessible for people that had no clue. Yeah, yeah they really did. But and it was it was a risky move and it, it clearly worked. I mean, it's. The, I think it's paid off well. Yes, I yeah. think it's it's the highest grossing film of the year. I want to say I might be. Wrong. It was. I think it's still ahead of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Thank God. <laughs> not not by much, but I think it's ahead. That's good. Uh, speaking of that, we we touched on this. I saw I saw Turtles. Uh, you did as well. I know. Yeah. I'm curious. What were your thoughts on it? For the most part, I liked. I didn't quite dig some of the background tweaks they did. 
okay. um, with Meg, with uh, April O'Neil and the Turtles. I thought that was kind of, eh, that's, that's not really necessary. But for someone who, like me who read, like I, like I have the original graphic novels of the Turtles mm. from way back in like 1989, 88 when they came out, or 90, I think, maybe it was 90. Um, it would, they were very similar in style to what those Turtles were like. You okay. know, they still, they kind of had, they did a really good job of combining the ones that we remember from the cartoon show. Mm-hmm. And the ones from the comic book where they were they were still they still had that cowabunga feel to them, but they were also edgy too, and they would like totally kick your ass and like beat it into the ground if they got mad enough or something. Like, right. The story with them, I really dug. I th- I thought Megan Fox's character needed a lot more development. She just she just struggled. I it, it was like it was really hard giving a shit about April O'Neil. Right. They're banking on the fact that Megan Fox is hot and people are just yeah. going to care about her because of that. I just kept wanting them to get back to the turtles. Right. Like every time the turtles are on screen, I was like, "There's my money. I, it's totally <laughs> worth it now. I'm, re- I'm much happier now." And then when she come back on the screen, it's her. I'd be like, "Oh." One of the things for me, like you said, the turtles were the money. Uh, I I found myself giving more freedom, little room for what they did with the turtles. Pretty much any time they talked, I was more like, "They're the freaking turtles." So okay. But I felt like, and granted, this was a Nickelodeon picture. Um, I felt like it was a little too on the nose with a lot of their diet. Like they were, they didn't trust that the audience could figure out whatsoever what they were doing. One thing that stands out to me <laughs> is at one point they've got the hostages lined up and the Foot Clan are attaching uh, bombs that are very clearly like C4 or something. You know, it's like it's, they're sticking something that's a black box with a red blinking light on it to the wall. You know what it is. And they they didn't even I don't think they filmed this because they didn't show a person speaking that I remember, but in ADR you hear one of the faceless hostages say it's bombs, and I was just like, <laughs> is yeah, that needed? <laughs> Do we really have to go that that stupid with it that like you can't trust that I can like yes okay there's bombs. So there was moments like that where I was a little bit it, it pulled me out, and I think it was because they were they were targeting kids more so than kids and adults. I think yeah. they did a little for us and more for them, but and I think I think we could probably blame the studio and the producers for that because they were probably watching the the test footage and went, well, how do they know it's bombs? And he probably <laughs> like you, it's like it's a big sticky gray thing with digits counting down. Yeah, no, you need to tell someone say it's bombs. It's like <laughs> it's a big sticky thing with digits counting down. <laughs> it's not an alarm clock. <laughs> well, people might get confused. Fuck, fine. Then producers like, that's what my iPod looks like. You just described my iPod. I don't know how they're gonna know. That's what no. My I'm sorry. If you like. have that, it's a Zune, and shame on you <laughs> exactly. for having a Zune. Yeah, that's what my Zune looks like when I work out at the gym. It's very sticky and it sticks to the wall. Wow, you've to- you've totally not made me want to see this movie. I don't want to see Teenage Mutant I, Ninja Turtles. I will. I will recommend it less than I recommend Amazing Spider-Man Two. Wow. I call it a Michael Bay film, and I see that a lot. A lot of people are saying, you know, it's a Michael Bay film. Oh, yeah, clear. They did this wrong. It was a Michael Bay film. He, <laughs> he didn't direct it. That's actually important to point out. He didn't direct it, but he produced. He was one of the producers, and unfortunately, he clearly had his fingers in the cookie jar because he might as well have directed it with some of the Michael Bayisms. But yeah. Um, to that end, the one thing that I just couldn't forgive, I could not. It pulled me out of the movie every time. They, they gave us about a two-second-long 
piece of dialogue that that explains Shredder getting uh, an outfit that w- armor that was a blend of samurai tradition with the highest technology, and what that actually translate to is this is a Michael Bay film. We need a fucking transformer, and that's what <laughs> Shredder was. What? Shredder was a transformer, literally. Boo. Like, I mean, he has projectile blades that he can then magnetize back into himself and reprojectile again. It was Dude, and the same sounds. What? It sounded like you were watching Megatron fight with the sound effects, Wait. which really distracted. I mean, it didn't make. I mean, Shredder was still an intimidating character in the movie, but it mm. really lost a lot of what made Shredder inter- intimidating. Like, if you watch, like the Shredder from the first Turtle movie back mm. in the nineties. Yeah, the good. He one, was. Mean? He was intimidating. He was oh, yeah. scary. And Shredder in the comic books is, he's freaking vicious. And he is so, I mean, that's like you watch him fight. And even before he starts really using the armor, his fighting skills are off the charts. Even yeah. in the armor, it's like, why does he need the armor? He's going to waste yeah. these guys. Yep. Well, thank you very much for uh, for joining us today, Chuck. And yeah. uh we want to make sure we get this info out there one more time. Uh, the new project is Hack and Nasher, and it's being done by Chuck It Films. Uh, you can follow them on Facebook, facebook.com slash Chuck It Films. Um, also on Twitter, at Team Chuck It. There is a Kickstarter campaign that is live. When does that end? That ends in 22 days. Oh, okay, good. So we've got just over three weeks on that. Um, it's not quite at its goal. It's uh, done really, really well. It's very close. Yes, it has. Um, uh, it's it's uh, interesting because you know, I didn't think you mentioned this. Like we've had like three different guys who are from this area do kickstarters in the last six months mm-hmm. for film projects. And if mine's only 155 bucks away from succeeding, and if it succeeds, then all three of them passed. Oh, perfect! Nice. And they're all from filmmakers in Eastern Oregon or out yeah. of Eastern Oregon. I have a feeling it'll pass because. We've already got an admission on this show that there's somebody with a microphone that hasn't yet contributed. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I, there are many attractive uh, incentives to contribute, I'll add. I've looked at it and watched the video, and I'm, I'm looking forward to contributing and hoping to contribute at a high level so as to gain some of those lovely incentives. There, I will oh, say excellent, that. excellent. You've got great rewards. I've seen other Kickstarter okay. programs that just kind of, you know, they did what they needed to do type of thing. we got to have something. Yours are actually fun. Like things you would want. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah, actually, they offer a service through Kickstarter where you can have uh, someone from Kickstarter or someone who's experienced with it kind of check over your project and see how it looks mm-hmm. and i didn't get any notes on mine they were like yeah it looks good start her up and i was like okay awesome. nice. <laughs> i i liked uh um i hope this is live if not i'm i'm i'm, I'm exclusively spoiling because i have private access um the the stretch goals are those live those are live i put okay. i actually added them into the story or the description so if you look at the video and you read down the stretch goals are actually there too okay good because those are actually um I thought the, the 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 first initial goals were great, um, or rewards rather. Sorry, uh, but the the stretch goal rewards, um, one of them I laughed out loud when I read it. Uh, you've ex- you've you've given the ability for uh, it, it's a there's a personal voicemail, right? Yeah, yeah. People can uh, they can choose an actor to do a voicemail greeting for like their cell phone. Right. Oh, Dan Wagner, get ready. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and then also they can actually choose a character. Uh, and like like a line of dialogue or something like they can make somebody say something. Is that am I making that up? 
No, actually, one of the uh, rewards has something in there where they can submit their seven-word sentence and will work it into either season one or season two, I believe. Okay, yeah, that's nice. yeah, that's what that was, and those are, those are just fun because no, I mean, no, they're excellent. Yeah, Kickstarter was initially kickstarted because um, it was it was a way for people that want to be producers and, and and contributors to be able to get involved and do it. But I think there's an element of creativity now that you've added, where not only can you contribute and make this happen, but you get to be you get to be creative with it. You yeah. actually can be like, that was mine. I wrote that. Yeah, exactly. I think it helps. I think it just makes it way more fun. And uh, I've seen some where I, I've watched like some people's things, and some of them it's like I've I've seen rewards that like really aren't rewards. It's mm-hmm. like they they don't they're not giving anyone anything really tangible. Yeah. I mean, that's the hardest thing is when you're doing that is how much can you actually give away that's before true. you're basically sawing your own foot off? You know, I mean, right. There's only so much you can do. So. That's what's beauty about it is the creativity is like okay well, like I know one of them is uh, you get a you get an invite to a, a screening of like the pilot or like an episode before it actually becomes live on YouTube. Okay. That's actually tangible. Someone can actually say, oh well, I got this, so I'm one of like ten people who gets to see the episode before everyone else does, and people yeah. love to do that. And like building DVDs is something I have a lot of experience with, so I was able to put in there like you know you can bid like this much you get to have a season one on dvd and the episodes that was a are good not one really not really long and it's something i'm very comfortable doing myself i've done it i did it for years very cool and again we do want to thank you for being with us uh it's always fun to get to chat with uh with interesting uh, guests that have cool stuff going on so thank you for sharing your time with us oh well thanks for having man it's been great looking forward i've been listening I'm, i've got two episodes behind so um, I'm eager to get caught up on the podcast because I'm getting a kick out of it. So, Will you uh, come back and talk to us again sometime? Of course, always, anytime. We're going to, again, put all the information up about your Kickstarter and also your uh, the Chuck It Films information on our website at dryrunproductions.net slash final hour. We're always happy to have the Oregonian Kevin Smith come and produce some, <laughs> some high-grade farmer's market uh, material for us. Thanks again, Chuck. Have a great rest of your night. You too, man. You guys have fun. All right, so many of you know that we are also uh, from the band Downstairs Neighbors. We've been playing a little bit out here in the L.A. area. We've been doing a mix of some some covers, but also been putting out a lot of our own original Got music. Got a lot of originals now. Yeah, and, uh, and something we wanted to do with this show is from time to time we want to be able to debut a song for you listeners. So we've actually got a new one called Everybody. Bear with us just a moment here. we got to change things up in the studio so we can play. Got to move it around, yeah. Sorry, i got to get the guitar out. So we hope you guys enjoy it. Alrighty. Bear with us while we get set up here in the uh, little playing space. Change the studio from <laughs> yeah. record Move. voice to record music. I'm ready. Alright, so this is the world premiere of Downstairs Neighbors' new song, Everybody, written by our own Brian Wallace. Woohoo! And uh, it's a happy little song about spreading hope and joy amongst everybody. Mostly, uh, there's just a lot of negativity and crap out there and people putting people down and stuff. And I thought, hey, you're a winner, folks. So this song's, you know, just play this song to your kids and, uh, and let them enjoy it. Everybody told him he was stupid. Everybody told him he was dumb. Everybody 
Coast Neighbors, uh, thank you again to Chuck Peters, our guest, uh, Chuck at Films, member Hack and Nasher, check it out on Facebook, uh, Kickstarter's going right now, so make sure you donate. Again, I'm Seth. I'm Brian. We'll catch you next time. And I'm the Lost Thoughts of Jason Bourne. <laughs>